You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And not joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. And bringing you today's podcast is Himalaya. You can get Locked on Bucks on the brand new podcasting app, Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Bucks. Remember, to get the show every day, subscribe to Locked on Bucks on the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlist and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Bucks. We talked about it a little bit last night. I was thinking it was going to be both Frank and I with John Corrales from Locked on Celtics. Instead of Frank and I, it is just me with John. And we kind of go through the entire series. We try to break it down. You know, I try to uh, go back and forth between talking about, you know, whether or not the, the Bucks can actually be beat and thinking about, you know, maybe they're just the, the best team in the league and it doesn't matter what adjustments or what strategies or what players you have, they're going to win anyways. So uh, I think it ended up being an interesting conversation, a little bit on the longer side, but, well, you have playoff basketball to get ready for. You have two days to do so. You have Friday, you have Saturday before Sunday's game at noon central time. So you have a little bit of time. If you need to split it up, feel free to do so on the ride to work, on the ride back from work, or whatever you may need to do to get it in. Go ahead and do that. So, that is going to be the intro for this, and with all of that being said, here is my conversation with John Corrales of Locked on Celtics. Okay, Eric, uh, you had one of my favorite tweets, to be honest with you, where it's about <laughs> the, the, the two fan bases yelling at each other, you don't understand how good we are now. Um, yes. And, and that, that's basically, a gr- I think that's a great place to start. We're for, for this crossover podcast and our joint kind of analysis of this series because I think that's where both teams are. Like the Bucks are have were awesome, and Celtics fans are like, yeah, 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 that's nice, and and, and Bucks fans are like, okay, yeah, that's that, that's fun. You, you struggle with the Pacers and Noel Oladipo, like, come on. So uh, let's let's go with that. What. What's your what's your opening salvo here when it comes to talk to Boston Celtics fans? Tell us why the the Bucks are are so different. Well, I, I mean, I think the easiest spot is probably just the fact that Thon Maker started Game Seven last year. <laughs> uh, so so Thon Maker started. Jabari Parker played twenty nine minutes. 
A 40-year-old Jason Terry played 20 minutes in Game 7. Mm-hmm. Tyler, Tyler Zeller played in Game 7. And Shabazz Muhammad played in Game 7. And not garbage time. Um, actual rotation minutes. So like, if anyone is viewing these... These bucks in the same way as last year's bucks, like I think that's probably the easiest place to start. Like, just think about those five guys and the fact that all of them played rotation minutes and the fact that none of them are on the bucks any longer. Like, I think that's probably the easiest place to start. So instead of them, uh, you know, you're gonna have guys like Sterling Brown in there. You're gonna have guys like Pat Connaughton, George Hill, or Sonny Lesova, Nikola Mirotic, actual NBA players. Like so, so you're gonna take five guys that aren't real NBA players and put in five guys that are NBA players. So I think that's the easiest place to start because that that doesn't require any nuance, right? Like that doesn't require you to like actually think through how this team is different. And then I, I think when when you look at you know kind of the starting lineup for the Bucks, like you're gonna have a guy like Brook Lopez, which is which is very different from last year. And then you're gonna have. Giannis Dedekumbo, who's obviously taken another step up to MVP. You know, Chris Middleton, who's a human flamethrower, human flamethrower against the Celtics last year. Um, I can't imagine that'll be the exact same, but he's still a very good player. And then you have Eric Bledsoe, who obviously uh, is, might still be seeing the ghost of Drew Bledsoe somewhere. Um, but he is also going to like he was a much better player this year uh, under Mike Budenholzer. So uh, I just think, and I don't want to say it's a total disservice, but just I, I think honestly for both fan bases, the fact that these two teams played last year kind of throws. I think it kind of pollutes everyone's minds, and, and that, I think it runs the same for Bucks fans as it does for Celtics fans that. I just think it's really hard for anyone that watches either of those teams to think through anything else other than last year's series. And I just don't think last year's series has really all that much to do with this year's series. No, it doesn't. And, and you know, I will go a step further and say the regular season series probably doesn't have much to do with this series either. Yeah. There's so many different things. There's so much different about this series. And I can just start at. Gordon Hayward is different, and and he didn't play in all the games, but, like, the the Gordon Hayward that is going to take the floor against the Bucks on Sunday is nowhere near the player that any any Bucks fan has seen in, in any of these games. So it, it starts there, and obviously, just like you guys, the, the Celtics have Kyrie Irving, who didn't play in last year's series, and... Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have gone through this tough year, but they are coming out the other side of it a little bit better for it. And there's just just a lot of there's a lot that's coming together now that's even making this Celtics team a little bit different than they were during the regular season. So it's um, it's it's different. It's different from both sides. Yeah. And so uh, I guess. The baseline here is neither neither ba- neither fan base should really have anything in their mind, any preconceived notion in their mind, because a lot of this stuff is, is out the window. Um, so let's just start with I, what I think is the biggest matchup here. And, and I got a little excited when you said Brooke Lopez is in the starting lineup, because I think that Brooke Lopez-Al Horford matchup is going to be the key matchup. And you tell me if this is the wrong thinking. I think that 
the Celtics don't start Aaron Baines. They start like Marcus Morris or or maybe even Shemi Ojale or whatever. But they they go with Horford at the five to match up with Lopez, and they just drag him away from the perimeter, away from the uh, the rim, and drag him towards the perimeter and pull him away from the rim. And a lot of the things that the Bucks have done defensively through Lopez protecting the rim are going to kind of fall by the wayside. And if Al Horford can win that matchup and essentially play Brook Lopez off the floor, then that significantly changes something that's worked for the Bucks all year long. Yeah, I, there, there's this thought that is very pervasive that, you know, the, the Celtics are going to play Brooke Lopez off the floor. And, and I, I totally get it. Um, but also, I just don't believe Mike Budenholzer feels the same way. Um, I think as the season has gone on, the, the story of the first month was pretty much every press conference that Bud had I would ask a question about Brook Lopez and how he was going to get played off the floor or how he was going to try to keep Brook Lopez on the floor. And uh, obviously Bud got annoyed by it by the end of the season. But, uh, you know, or I should say by the end of that month, but by the end of the season, the Bucks were playing him pretty much no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at the, the final Celtics-Bucks game, Brooke Lopez played, uh, I think it was 34 minutes. He plays 34 minutes in that game uh, as opposed to the first game with Horford on the floor where he plays this just 23, and the Bucks really struggled with the Celtics as the Celtics had, I think, franchise records in makes and attempts from three in that game. So like, I think that, that first game really kind of sits in people's minds, and I just don't – I truly do not believe that – Playing Brook Lopez off the floor is a thing that can be done, and I shouldn't say that it can't be done. But I just, I truly don't know if I believe Mike Boonholzer will actually go along with it. I don't, I don't believe that he'll just say, "Oh, well, you played Brook off the floor. We're just going to accept that." He's just been too good this year, and I think they have enough confidence in what Lopez has done. Uh, you know, whether that is uh, the final game before the All-Star break, they had him switching for the entirety of the fourth quarter against the Indiana Pacers, and they, he had a couple good possessions against Jaren Collison, against Bo- Boyan McDonavich, like, uh, against Wesley Matthews. Like, like he had uh, – or actually not Wesley Matthews, um, Thad Young. Um, so, like, he had a number of good possessions there, and I, I think the, the Bucks believe that he can do some of that. We've seen them late switch in the last month or so, obviously something that the Celtics made, I mean, do all the time uh, with those late switches. So the Bucks have done some of that with him as well. And, you know, I just think it's, it's kind of a spot where uh, I think there's – you know, just this idea that that's a thing that can happen, but I don't believe that Mike Budenholzer actually wants to do it. I think he will do everything in his power to keep Brook Lopez on the floor. And if that means Brook is switching some, if that means Brook is late switching some, if that means Brook is uh, not dropping quite as hard as he normally does and trying to sprint out to Al Horford a little bit sooner, I think that is, I think that'll at least be the Bucks very first group of adjustments is how can we keep Brooke on the floor? Sure, and I would expect that because look, Brooke Lopez is such a big key to a lot of what the Bucks do. I mean, obviously everything runs through Giannis. Like Giannis is, he's the guy with all of the gravity, and when he he 
gets into the middle of the paint. Like all of his assists are to kickouts for three points. Uh, it, it's wild to, to to see how much. Uh, attention a guy like that can draw. He draws all five guys. And Brad Stevens even said, he's like, you wish you could draw all five guys, but they're such a good three-point shooting team that if you do commit all five guys to preventing Giannis from getting to the rim, you're going to get burned. So that being the case, though, there is still, like, Brooke Lopez helps stir that drink, as they say, because, first of all, defensively, he does protect the rim. And so, obviously... The, the Bucks strategy is to give up three-pointers to the, the least effective three-point shooters, which is generally the guy setting the pick. And that's, that's where the, the Celtics are different to me. Like, the, Al Horford's guy setting the pick, so now he picks and pops, and you have to account for him. You have to account for him because you could give up ten pick-and-pop threes to Al Horford, and he's probably going to hit four or five of them, and that's going to be a problem for the Bucks. Um but at the same time, Lopez is the guy that protects the paint for the most part. So what's what's the give and take? Like I I can in my head I just have it so ingrained that you have to do something to account for Al Horford. Because Al Horford's the one guy that's unlike basically any other guy that the Bucks have played. I mean He's not he's not Jokic, but he's he's in that same mold of a guy that can pop out. He's a better three point shooter, but he's a guy that can pop out and hit that shot and drive off of a, a you know attack and close out and pass like crazy. Like if you he'll drive and kick the center for the Celtics is going to drive and kick. So it's I still see that as like Bud might say. Lopez, we're going to try to keep Lopez on the floor as much as possible, and I understand that. But I feel like at some point that that's that's going to be a problem. And if it does become a problem, what's next? Yeah, I mean, I I think very clearly Al Horford's the best pick-and-pop big in the league. Like, I don't even think it's a conversation. Um, So that's why the Celtics team is the uh, the team that I've said the Bucs should fear most uh, of anyone in in the Eastern Conference because – He's the best pick-and-pop pick, pick big in the league, and then you have Kyrie as well. Um, so for me, like that is really – I mean, it, it's it's a huge matchup, but I, I think there's a couple of interesting things there. I think the first thing is, one, how well do you believe Lopez can run him off the line? And then on top of that, I, th- this is just me speaking. I don't know that this this isn't something Bud has mentioned. This isn't something Bud has talked about. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, Al Horford, drive by. Go for it. We're not helping. Like To me, that that seems like at least an answer. Like, you want to go for 40 tonight, Al Horford? That's awesome. I, 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 would, I would love to see it. Because at least in my mind, I think, okay, so I'm going to run you off the three-point line, you're going to drive. You want, you want 15 dunks? Go for it. I think Lopez is going to be able to contest enough of those. I, I think he's going to be able to make it tough enough on you in that situation. So that's at least something I've been thinking about. I, again, that's that's not something Bud has said. That's not something Bud has ever done. But at least in my mind, I do wonder if you say Al Horford beat me. Kenny? I I, I think it's going to be a question, right? I, I, I don't know. I think Al Horford could beat him. I think he's quicker. He's quicker, and 
the thing but is that in is that in his DNA? Is it in his DNA to score thirty five a night? I mean, he'll do it if he has to. I mean, he's he just came off a game where he took like nineteen shots, so he'll do it if he has to. Obviously, his 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 preference is to pass first and to set his guys up. But if the read is Lopez is is kind of running him off the line and they're going to give him these open lanes. He'll he'll obviously be looking to see if guys suck in because you you can't just give up dunks. There's sure. there's and even if they say give up dunks, if Bud says give up dunks, it's it's still there's a muscle memory for everyone else on the floor to just yes. dig, you know? So Al Horford is going to be looking for guys to dig. But if if they want to give up open dunks, then He'll take them. He'll take as many open dunks as you, as you want to get. At some point, there's... But also, like, this is what I would say. I don't know that it's an open dunk. Well, like, I, say, I think that undersells Brook Lopez and how good he is defensively and how well he moves his team. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. I mean, I'm sure it's not going to be just like a blow-by in 10 foot of open space. But still, I think that that's still going to be tough. No matter... You can have the game plan all you want. But if a guy is constantly getting into the paint like that, eventually guys are going to, especially if it's close, it's just going to draw a lot of attention. And this is, we're talking about Al Horford. We haven't even talked about Kyrie, his role in all of this, because the threat of Al Horford doing these things is going to be enough for Kyrie to take advantage of and, and do his own thing. So if, if the Bucks get caught up in the what do we do with Al Horford, then I feel like the Celtics win already because Al Horford is the most important guy in this in this matchup, in this series maybe, but they still have Kyrie and they still have Tatum who is, is playing a lot better. And they still have Jalen Brown who's shooting a lot better. Like they, they have other guys that are bigger scoring threats that really should be accounted for as well. So if the it feels like you're going to take a lot of possessions, though, if every one of those guys is going to be the scoring threat that you appear to be talking about at the moment. What, what do you mean you're going to take a lot of possessions? Like, Well, how, how is everyone going to get loose if one person is getting loose? Well, that's I, I see your point. I see your point. Um, there's, there's definitely something to be said for give make Al Horford's usage rate like – Forty percent, like Harden esque. Um, I, I don't think because, and again, like that's kind of what I'm saying is that like obviously the Bucks don't have choices to make, but like if if and again, this is this is me more talking more than anything, but is doing, but like you know, if I turn Al Horford into a scorer and don't let him get whatever it was twenty with. Five assists, I think it was, in the final game of the year. In the first game of the year, it was, what, 18 with eight assists? Like, if I take away the playmaking threat of Al Horford, I think I'd probably feel better about that. Like, I think that's really what kind of bends bends the defenses that, that the Celtics play against is Al Horford being dynamic. Yeah. And not, not so much him as a scorer. Like, obviously, I'm not trying to concede dunks, but I do think that's something to think about. So, uh, I and, and again, like, this isn't to take away from Al Horford. I, as I said, he's the best pick-and-pop big in the league. So, um, that that's very much something that the Bucks have to be concerned about. But um, I, I do think there's a lot of interesting things there about, you know, how you attempt to cover him and 
you know what you can you, what you can try to do there um, because you know at, at the same time like you look at the 98-97 win that they had you gave up a bunch of shots to Kyrie Irving and Al Horford but you contested a bunch of them like Horford goes for 21 points on 21 shots Irving goes for 22 points on 27 shots so you know you you gave up looks to them but do you feel good about the looks like if it's an inefficient night, you you might also kind of be okay with that. So I don't know. Like I, I do think uh, again, this is the the worst matchup in the Eastern Conference for the Bucks uh, because of how insanely talented Kyrie Irving is, uh, and because of Al Horford and just kind of the defense that they throw out there. But like there, is, I, I do think there's a lot of stuff to think about. And then you know, if you do play Brook Lopez off the floor, I do also wonder. Have you really won? Because you're gonna then have Giannis play 40 minutes in the night. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I guess maybe. Like, I just think you're getting more. If the goal is to play Brook Lopez off the floor, I don't know that the Bucks are are that hurt over that because, well, that just means Giannis is gonna play more center, so he's gonna play more minutes, and then you're gonna try to you know fill some of those minutes with. A, Probably a power forward, but I guess that's the be Nikola Mirotic, maybe Arsene Silva. Maybe those guys get played off the floor because of Tatum, Brown, and Hayward. And you bring in George Hill and go with that, or maybe you go Sterling Brown and Pat Connaughton with Giannis and Middleton uh, as well. There, like I, I, I don't know that that's the. I, I think there's a ton of focus on the Lopez, uh, on the Lopez Horford matchup, but. I'm not totally convinced that playing Lopez off the floor is a huge win for the Celtics. Uh, it's an interesting perspective because um, I think that, again, I've identified this as the thing um, because stopping Giannis is not an option. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is the thing because I look at the, the ripple effect is like in a best case scenario, you play Lopez off the floor, which means Giannis is playing the five, which means Giannis has to defend the pick and rolls too. And oh. then if Giannis is out there, then that's now there's nobody protecting the rim. And that means Giannis. Are the Celtics good enough at the rim to do that? Well, that's that's going to be the question. Like, the Celtics are not good enough at the rim. The Celtics are not good at going to the rim. They're not good at drawing free throws. So the there has to be a focus. Like, from the Celtics' perspective, if if they do get Lopez off the floor, it has to become attack, 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 attack. Because yeah. really, even if, even if Giannis blocks you a couple of times, you have to put Giannis in an action to defend the pick and roll and then try to test his uh, – his his drive to stop to block shots because then you have the potential to get him into some foul trouble and that's the be- the best way to defend Giannis is mm-hmm. to attack him that way get him rotating and and if you can get him from one side of the floor to the other and trying to get one of those help blocks and you're aggressive in your driving and he gets that body into you and they call a foul or two and he sits on the bench, then you've got something going. That's why I think the Lopez, it's not necessarily just playing Lopez off the floor. It's getting to the next step of, do you want to bring Miritich in? Great. I've seen what the Celtics have done to Nikola Miritich and it's not pretty. And you want to, 
play Giannis at the five, great. I mean, not great because that's a very effective lineup, I think, for the Bucks. But at the same time, it presents Boston with their best chance to defend Giannis by making him defend himself and either wear him down because now if he's playing the five and doing all that stuff, even if he doesn't get into foul trouble, he's doing a lot of work there. Then he's got to get the ball and drive all the way up, and the Celtics are just going to foul the crap out of him. And Mook Morris is just ready to lay into that guy. And Shemi Ojale's got six fouls to use, and he's a brick wall. And then the trickle-down effect of all of that, to me, is fourth quarter, tight game, what's Giannis going to be after all of that work, all of that, that beating down, when the last five minutes clutch – you know, clutch time comes around, is he going to be able to finish the way he did in the first quarter, and can the Celtics take advantage of that? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you're you're looking at how to stop Giannis, I think it always starts with foul trouble. Um, I think that's that's kind of the easiest way way to go about all of this is, you know, if you get him in foul trouble, he's not as aggressive offensively, he's not as aggressive defensively. And I do think there there could be, a, you know, a, a big thing about getting Giannis to defend the five is that he doesn't get to wreak havoc on the backside. So, like, that's why, you know, I hear the Shemi Eljale stuff, and it's like I, I think the Bucks would love if Shemi Eljale <laughs> would play any amount of minutes. Uh, in any game, because that's a win for them, because then Giannis can just wreck havoc on the backside, totally ignore Shemi, and sure, they might hold the Bucks to a 104-and-a-half uh, points per 100 possessions, but the Bucks are going to hold the Celtics to 97 points per 100 possessions, because Ojale just can't play. So, um, you know, like, I... I I think what what's interesting, and, and I mean, that's... A, that's why I think this Brooke Lopez stuff is so interesting is because the Bucks, as you're talking to all of this, the Bucks are very aware of all of this. They're, of they're very aware that they are at their best when Brooke Lopez is on the floor. And I think like it's just going to be really interesting to see just how good the Celtics have to be to play Brooke Lopez off the floor. Because, like, I don't know, it's, uh, I certainly can't imagine it's a 10-minute stretch in, you know, in the first half where the Bucks are minus eight with Lopez on the floor. Like, that's, I don't think that's going to be enough. Like, that, it, it's going to have to be more extreme than that because the Bucks know what Brooke does. They know that he's able to protect the rim and kind of keep Giannis out of fall trouble. He's able to put Giannis in more favorable matchups. Uh He's able to offensively spread the floor and give Giannis more space. Like they're very aware of all of this, so that's why like, that <laughs> it, it's just so interesting because that's the thing to focus on. And part of me wonders just how stubborn Mike Boonholzer will be about this in saying that you know what we're gonna keep him on the floor no matter what. Like we're <laughs> gonna find a way to make this work, whether that is. You know, switching him on to Kyrie and saying, and I, I talked to Jay King about this earlier today, but um, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks say, you know what, rather than taking Brooke off the floor, we're gonna have him switch on to Kyrie, and his only job is going to be to get Kyrie off the three point line, no threes, like that, that, and again, that's an impossible task because Kyrie can do 
such an incredible job from there. But if you can make those threes incredibly difficult or if you can do everything you can to push him into the lane, like I think you're still probably feeling good that, okay, Giannis can contest, Kyrie can shoot some mid-rangers, and, you know, there's probably going to be some games where he beats up, but eventually, like, math wins. That, that's just uh, how it goes. So, uh, man, like, I, I do – I think I'm I'm very happy that we've spent as much time on Brooke in how the the Celtics are going to try to play him off and how the Bucks are going to try to keep him on because I really do think like it's going to get to a spot where one of the coaches is just too stubborn in it. Like one of them is going to be trying like Brad is going to be trying too hard to get Brooke off the floor or Bud is going to be trying too hard to keep him on the floor. And that's where this really becomes interesting because I, I don't know that we've seen really much of any interest from Mike Boonholzer in playing DJ Wilson. And when you when you think about the Bucks going small, that's that's kind of their lineup that makes some sense. Like a lot of the times when they've gone small this year, they've kept a power forward in there, and with a slow footed Nikola Mirotic, with a slow footed Ursanio De Silva. I think the Celtics are going to be just fine with that, right? Like, they, okay, we got Brooke off the floor, and those are the guys you're putting on? Yeah. Fine. This is great. We would love to attack either of those guys off the dribble. DJ Wilson, on the other hand, you know, he can move his feet well. He can do some switching. Maybe you don't feel quite as confident, but Bud hasn't played DJ Wilson in real minutes for kind of a, I mean, a longer time now. So uh, I, I truly, I, I'm telling you this, John, I have no idea how this goes because, <laughs> like, we're it. I think we're totally right to obsess over that, but I, I just don't know in the end, like if a ton of adjustments get made by either team or if they just, like, try to, like, bludgeon this matchup and, like, try to say, like, someone is going to make a decision here. Like, I refuse to back down. And it's going to make for really interesting basketball and basketball that I think is incredibly hard to predict. Well, the thing the thing about this is, okay, the Shemi Ojale thing is is different. And I I bring up Shemi for – Two reasons. One, I have this thing about Shemi Ojale. Um, two, we saw him do it last year. And when I spoke to Brad Stevens, he said, I love the way he put it. Um, he said that it bought us 10 minutes of a guy that we need down the stretch in the fourth quarter of not fouling Giannis. And we know Giannis is going to get fouled. That's That goes without saying. And what Shenny does is he can move his feet. He's strong. He's he's not a reliable three point shooter. It's he, he, they're going to park him in the, if he plays. He'll get parked in the corner, and I'm sure the Bucks will play often to help protect against the drive. And they will see if he can beat them from three. Sometimes he will. Sometimes he won't. But if he can just go out there for four minute stretches and give you, or three minutes, whatever it is, and give you two or three of those where he's keeping his feet in front of Giannis as best he can, and maybe, maybe he cuts him off once or twice, maybe. And if he needs to foul him, then he fouls him and earn him from the line. I I think the cumulative effect, like I said before, of fouling Giannis, even if he gets 20 free throws, the cumulative effect of fouling Giannis may have a tiring effect, like down the line. It may it may sap his energy 
down the stretch in the fourth. I'm, I'm, if it sounds like I'm grasping at straws, it's because I am. <laughs> I know what Giannis is, and I know that yeah. he's, he's better than he was last year. He's bigger, faster, stronger, all of that stuff. Uh, but when you throw Shemi out there, it, it gives you that, that few minutes of not Gordon Hayward. Because they're not going to put Gordon Hayward on on Giannis for very long. He might switch on to him, but you need Gordon Hayward to be in part of that closing lineup. You don't need Shemi. You don't need Mook to be down there. So Marcus Morris can get his his turns. And sure, Al Horford's going to get his turns guarding Giannis. Everybody's going to get a turn because it's going to take two or three guys to just slow him down anyway. But um, I, I do see the Celtics maybe using Ojale. But the beginning of this long-winded point is the Celtics can start Marcus Morris, and it's not a huge thing because they started Marcus Morris a ton all year anyway when Aaron Baines was out. So starting a lineup with Marcus Morris at the four is not out of the out of the ordinary. It's not a massive adjustment. The Celtics have done that for a very long time. Uh, so a lot of what the Celtics are doing that – in this discussion of playing Brook Lopez off the floor, really is also sort of what they've been doing anyway. It's not a departure from their game plan. The only difference is you're starting smaller at the four because of Marcus Morris, and you're bringing Aaron Baines off the bench. It's an adjustment, but not a huge adjustment for them. Yeah, and, uh, you know, as I said before with with Shemi, it's just like, okay, so the the Celtics will hope to take advantage of the cumulative effect. And I think in the same way, I think the Bucks would try to take advantage of the cumulative effect. So if you you put Shemi Shemi Ojale in for four minutes, whatever it may be, if you're plus four in those three four-minute stretches, I think you you feel pretty good yep. if you're the Bucks. Like so, I, I think <laughs> I, I really so. There's all of this right that that we're talking about, and then I guess why I feel like Boonholzer will be so stubborn is the Bucks were a top five offensive team, sure, and the Bucks were the best defensive team in the league. Mm-hmm. So when I, I Obviously, it's fun for me to like talk about the adjustments and like all the different things that that the Bucks could do. When in the back of my mind, I'm just like, Eric, maybe you're an idiot. Maybe the Bucks won't do anything different. <laughs> maybe maybe the Bucks will say we're the best team in the league, and we're not going to stop doing what we do. And again, that that might be silly. That might be stubborn. That might be bullheaded. But at the same time. Uh, it's been very effective the entire year. Uh, it, it's why why you are what you are, which uh, again just kind of throws me for for a loop in all of this because uh, I don't know where that balances. I don't know how much it would take to you know bring me out of doing what I do. In the Bucks, this entire year have been very focused on on doing what it is that they do. Like they are. Bud focuses only on them. He doesn't really worry about, uh, you know, focusing a lot on on the film sessions of other teams or anything like that. Like they're just worried about being themselves and doing that. And in in the back of my mind, I just keep going back to like maybe he just says screw it. Like we're just gonna play and be who we are. And in game one, if that totally doesn't work, 
okay, maybe we go into game two and we figure out some like some very serious adjustments. Um, but also, you know, maybe it works and and they end up winning game one. So I I don't like I said, man, I got this this series is so strange to me just because so often when we talk about playoff basketball, we talk about adjustments and I'm so used to thinking of, you know, the ways in which the Bucks could upset a higher seed and this year they're the higher seed. Right. They're they're the best regular season team in the league and you know, I just kinda keep coming back to like, all right, I think you really gotta do something special to really get the Bucks out of their comfort zone, to get the Bucks out of of what they're trying to do and the the part that makes it even more interesting is that the Celtics are the team that have the things that can really do that. <laughs> like right. like they have Al Horford, the best pick and pop big in the league. Pick and pop bigs have you know exploited the Bucks the whole year, and then Kyrie's the best. Uh, I'm not gonna say the best one on one scorer in the league, but one of the best one on one scorers sure. in the league. Sure. And it just makes all of this really difficult and really really tough to kind of figure out which direction this might go in. But um, the thing I've and I mentioned I've mentioned this on a couple of podcasts and radio hits is just that you know I'm curious if I get to the end of this postseason and I just think to myself like Eric you, you really overthought all of this <laughs> uh, because like you look at this Bucks team they're one of 77 teams in the history of basketball to win 60 games in a season they're one of eight teams to have. Uh, 45 or more double-digit victories in a season. Like everything that underlies this team tells me that this is a historically good basketball team. The only thing that doesn't tell me that is the history of the Milwaukee Bucks and how inept that they've been for years and last year's playoff series and kind of everything else. But this year, like if I just look at this year's numbers, it tells me they're very good and I shouldn't really doubt them. And it really does just kind of toss a, a, a whole nother question into all of this when you're thinking about the playoffs. And uh, I think so often uh, I've picked like, oh, you know, like Bucks and seven and Bucks and seven and Bucks and seven. And like trying to think through like, oh, yeah, these Eastern teams are very close. And I mean, maybe the numbers suggest that they're not that close. So I, I don't know. It, it's, a, it's a really interesting series. It is a very, very interesting series, to say the least. Um, I... I I agree with a lot of what you said, and if if I'm Milwaukee, if I'm running Milwaukee, like, just do what we do. Like, you don't want to overthink things as the coach. We overthink things all the time because that's what we do. <laughs> of we, course. That's yeah. kind of our job. You have five <laughs> podcasts a week, plus your writing. Plus, like, we both cover the team, our teams. Yes. Like, like, our job is to, like, okay – it's not to not write, it's to write. And you have to come up and with think of every angle, yes. every possible thing. So yes. that's what we're doing. Uh, but, yeah, I fully expect Bud to go out there. And, this is our starting lineup. Why, yep. why would if, – if you roll out there with a starting lineup that includes DJ Wilson, then <laughs> you immediately open yourself up to, well, the Celtics have already won the game because yep. you've – They've already they've made their adjustment without having without Boston having done a thing, and you can play. You start your your lineup now. It'll be very obvious right away if that matchup is going to be overly problematic. Like if the Celtics have hit another gear and yep. Brooke Lopez is just killing the Bucks, and it, it, then he comes out of the game, and then you adjust. But 
Yeah. I, I agree. You, you throw Lopez out there and you see if all of this stuff that we're talking about theoretically, if in practice it can actually be done. Because it's not just – it's Al and Brooke Lopez aren't playing one-on-one. There are other guys. There's other guys that are going to switch. We haven't mentioned Chris Middleton. We haven't mentioned Eric Bledsoe. We haven't mentioned these guys that are also part of the defense that are going to help and hedge and, and rotate and all of these different things that are going to assist – in mm-hmm. some of the things that we're talking about. So it's not just Al Horford running a pick and roll, a pick and pop with Kyrie. And there, there's going to be there are going to be ways to to play that. And it's going to be very interesting to see how if Bledsoe is guarding Kyrie, do you do you just play that a little differently? Do you not go over the top? Maybe you start going under screens and and daring Kyrie to shoot. And okay, then Kyrie becomes the guy. I'm a big proponent now, I'm a big proponent of let the star player, if he's like the one star player, let the star player go for 50. Like, one of my thoughts on this series, let Giannis go for 50. Not let, but if he goes for 50, fine. Hold the rest of the team to less than 50, and you're you're good. If yep. One way the Bucks can not be burned by Horford pick and pops is you just go under all of the screens, and you dare... Kyrie Irving to hit all of those shots, and if he does, he does, but you make him not a passer, and then you eliminate Al Horford in that scenario for the most part, because he's not getting the ball, and he doesn't have the ability to exploit Lopez. That could That's a very simple little adjustment if they want to try that, because usually, if I'm not mistaken, they'll trail over the top of the screens, and, yep. and Lopez will drop, right? Yeah, no, that is, that is their base coverage, and I, I've written about it at The Athletic, but there's few players in the league better. There's probably not a better player in the league at getting over the top of screens and not getting touched. Uh, for some reason, Bledsoe's just, uh, I mean, kind of like a savant at it. Um, and that's kind of the base of their whole defense, is that they're going to run drop coverage with Brooke Lopez, and Bledsoe is somehow going to get over the top, not allow a three enforced everyone into that, that mid-range area. And uh, I know very early in the season, Giannis was talking about the math problem for uh, the New York Knicks when they played them because the Knicks just kept taking mid-range jumpers. And, you know, ultimately uh, I think the goal would be, all right, let's 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 get over the top of these on, on Kyrie Irving. And, okay, if he if he takes some mid-range jumpers, obviously that's a win. But I think the Celtics are going to be smart enough to know that that's what the Bucks want to do. And, Obviously, put him in the pick and pop, but yeah, their their goal would be to have Eric Bledsoe go over and have Brooke Lopez drop. So we'll see how they do that. Uh, I will say that if there's one disadvantage when I hear somebody talking about giving the Celtics open mid range jumpers, it's like it makes me cringe because man, these Celtics love taking open mid range jumpers. I mean, <laughs> just oh, they love it. Like Jason Tatum. An open mid-range jumper is like his, that's his jam right there. Everybody takes him. Mook will take him. Uh, Kyrie will take him. Uh, Kyrie is is one of the few guys that I think is good enough at them where when he takes them, it's not bad. Uh, He's got that crazy right elbow fadeaway that he always loves to take and he seems to hit a lot. But um, that's, that's certainly something that, I'm sure one of the Bucks' strategies is going to be, all right, let, let's see if we can bait these guys into these shots that they love to take a lot. So yep. um, we've been talking for a long time. This is going to be a long <laughs> podcast. So let's, let's not spend 40 minutes talking about 
the next uh, Chris Middleton, who has had a very good year. Um, what what should Celtics fans know that's different about Chris Middleton this year? Uh, the Chris Middleton that took a whole lot of fadeaway jumpers and uh, long twos is he's not dead, but Mike Boonholzer has undergone a drastic shift in the way that Chris Middleton shoots. Uh, he is he is not you know one of the highest volume mid range shooters in the league anymore. Uh, a lot. So uh, essentially, what kind of happens now is they'll put him in pick and roll action and Middleton has always been very good in isolation, but most of the time, and I think Celtics fans can kind of imagine this, like most of the time it'll be, you know, a baseline fadeaway jumper, a step back, something like that. It'll be inside the line. Uh, most of the time now what happens is if he gets a switch on a pick and roll, he dribbles the big out until half court, takes him there, and then takes about two or three dribbles, shoots pull-up three, and that's why he is one of the best isolation players in the league, according to Synergy. I think last time it was, I checked, it was like 1.1 points per uh, possession for him in isolation. And the reason is, you know, he's changed a lot of his mid-range twos into threes. So that is obviously quite helpful. Um, so uh, to me, that's really the biggest thing is that you're not going to see him operate in the mid-range as much as he used to because Bud kind of just said, we're not going to do that anymore. And there was a problem with it in the middle of the year, and they talked it out, and they've given Middleton more mid-range jumpers since then. Um, but it's still you know, pretty overwhelming that he has really gone through this transformation where he's taking – I think it's uh, – when I wrote it in January, it was that you know he'd kind of cut his uh, mid-range attempts in half and move those out to the three-point line. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the opposite of what we were just talking about here with the Celtics and wanting those mid-range jumpers. I mean, that's that's going to be something that the Celtics would be trying to force Middleton to get back into. Um, uh, I think – I don't think that's a a tremendous part of the game plan for the Celtics, but, I mean, I know that Middleton was just so important last year, and he he had some huge games to to help push that to seven. So, um, he – Obviously, is is your second best player, um, or do you think do you think that Bledsoe has risen to second best player? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's kind of a conversation about that because Bledsoe has been so good defensively. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's a first team All Defense player this year. Um, Maybe it'll be second team, but I think he'll get an all-defensive team nod. Uh, so. so he's he's been very, very good uh, at that this season defensively. And then offensively, he's really been asked to go to the extremes where it's either threes or layups. And none of them between the mid-range shots. Uh, but it has really kind of forced that on really everyone is that your shot profile is really going to get cleaned up. So, um, you know, I, there was an argument if Frank was on here, I think he would argue that Bledsoe is maybe turned into the second most important. But I think from the easiest way for me to explain it is that the Bucks have a high floor because Chris Middleton is good just about every night. He's, he's not going to have, you know, huge nights, but, 
because he contributes as a playmaker, as a scorer, as a wing defender. He's going to be good just about every night, and that really raises the floor of the Bucks. The the Bucks ceiling is dependent on Eric Bledsoe. If he has a good night offensively, they're really tough to beat. And, and Bud has said this the entire year that when Eric is great, we are great. Like that is that is how this works. That if if Bledsoe really's got it going, we're really going to have it going. We're at our best when Eric's at his best. Like he said all of those different phrases, and and I. I think it's a slightly different version of kind of what I just said, but he to me Bloodso is really the ceiling. So if Bloodso has a big series, I think he could he could really swing it and and a good series from Bloodso to me in many ways means the Bucks end up winning this series. Yeah, I think when we talk about the Celtics and the and and Lopez with with Horford, I feel like the opposite of that is Bloodso versus Kyrie for you guys, um, and if he can do uh, an effective job against Kyrie, keep him out of the paint, keep him from getting to the rim, and then if, if he's doing that, then it doesn't matter uh, kind of what Horford and, and how that Horford-Lopez matchup plays out because if, if Bledsoe is not allowing the penetration or limiting it, then the rim protector isn't as important. So if if he becomes that that point of attack kind of limiting defender, then it minimizes. That's a great way to minimize the impact of whatever Horford. Even if Horford does play Lopez off the floor, then that the other guys aren't as aggressive as Kyrie. Now Tatum has been more aggressive lately, trying to get to the rim, and and Jalen Brown has too. So maybe there's a change in mentality. We'll see if the week of practice has has resulted in Brad Stevens hammering home attack, 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 attack. Uh, uh, if that's the case, then then this might be there might be some differences here. But I think the the job that Bledsoe does on Kyrie is significantly important and could be a major factor for the Bucks in this series. I mean, maybe I think maybe the single best, the single biggest defensive factor, in my opinion. No, I, I think I think you're you're dead on in this one, and uh, obviously, uh, I, like I said, I wrote something about Bledsoe and why he might be all defensive team, and against the Bucks, I think Kyrie's true shooting percentage goes from. Uh, 55%, which is his average, to 48%. And, uh, you know, when you look at the games that he's had, and this is including a game where I think he was 6 of 12 from the three-point line, if I remember correctly. Um, Kyrie, his averages go from 23.9 points per game to 21.7 points per game. Assists down from 7.1 to 6.3. Field goal attempts go up from 18.6 to 22.3. Three-point attempts stay about the same. Field goal percentage goes from 49% as his average. And, again, this was when I wrote it, and I think this was February. So these these things all could have changed from that moment. But I think pretty – pretty in a small way uh but Kyrie 49% to 38.8% against the Bucks and then uh his three point percentage is the one thing that went up and obviously a 6 or 12 game helps out with that and it went from 39.8% to 45.8% but I do think there's a pattern this season of Eric Bledsoe against elite guards 
he has done really well. And it doesn't matter if it's Dame Lillard, Steph Curry, uh, Russell Westbrook, Kyle Lowry, Kyrie Irving. Like, he has, has really made guards work. And that that's huge. That's really big. And, uh, again, I'm not sure if it's enough to, to totally swing the series, but making Kyrie work for those points is, is really big. Like, it's just... I think undeniably big that if you can bring him down from his averages a little bit and hopefully not get full-on NBA Finals Kyrie, like, you've probably put yourself in, 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 I think, what would be a really nice spot. Yeah, that's, I mean, anything you can do to limit him, obviously. I mean, it's the most obvious statement you can make, right? Yeah. that's why they pay us the big bucks. Is there anything from <laughs> Is there anything from your end, Celtics wise, that you would like to know, or questions that you might have for the lockdown bucks listeners? Just trying to flip it here so we can keep this to one sure. hour. <laughs> uh, Marcus Smart, what does it mean? Does it mean anything? Yeah, Marcus Smart. Uh, we're hoping that he is able to return maybe later in the series. It's it's not out of the question if the series is spread out um, that they that they might see him towards the end, but let's assume that they don't. Um, that hurts a lot because it's, that's one more guy. I mean, you talk about down the stretch, having a guy that, first of all, having that option, that if they need defensive stops to have a guy like that that doesn't need a ton of help, then that that's a significant loss. Jalen Brown's been filling in for him pretty nicely. Jalen Brown's a pretty good defender. No one no one is Marcus Smart. The thing with Marcus Smart is that he recognizes things and he's great at calling things out before they happen. Um, so he's a great kind of defensive captain in that way. Uh, the other thing that he, like I said, he he doesn't generally need a lot of help. So if he switches onto a guy, then he's you can generally leave him alone. And he'll switch on to Giannis and not, again, nobody stops Giannis, but smart, not having a guy that can get low and not be moved by, mm-hmm. by like Kawhi and like one or two other guys move Marcus Smart. That's it. And so to, there's a temptation to to take Marcus Smart in the post, and I'm sure Giannis, who's good in the post, would want to do that. But you can't move Marcus Smart in the post, uh, and and that's that's always fun. Like Boston Celtics fans always love seeing big switching on to Smart, thinking mouse in the house, and then trying to back him down, and they turn around and, and take like a 22 foot fadeaway, and just like what what's what happened here? <laughs> um, but uh, so that that's going to be a a problem because. That takes away if if Middleton is going off. Well, you can't switch Smart onto him to kind of be a pest, and you can't switch Smart onto Bledsoe if he's having that big game like you're talking about. So it's going to fall yep. on Rozier. Now Rozier might be like the PTSD for Bledsoe, and those guys might get into some. Uh-huh. That would be that would be an interesting little dynamic. Uh, in in if that could manifest itself, then. Maybe it's not so bad that they don't have Marcus Smart because Rozier would go out there and get underneath Bledsoe's skin. But uh, to, I would say that more Rozier is less 
uh, effective for the Celtics. And so um, I, I will say I do think the uh, – I made the joke before about ghosts of Drew Bledsoe in, in the rafters at TD Garden, but, you know, I do think there there's still something there with Eric Bledsoe. Like, I'm not 100% sure he's over it. I know in that uh, that Bucks celtics game, I can't remember if Rozier blocked one of his shots or uh, I know Tatum blocked a shot, but, you know, like, there was just a kind of a period in the second half of that game where it's just like, eh, Eric Bledsoe doesn't look quite right. And, like, I, do, uh, I don't think he's – I don't think beating up on Reggie Jackson – in round one means Eric Bledsoe is over what happened last year in the playoffs. Like, I do still think there is something there. I don't know if it's serious. I don't know if it will uh, end up manifesting itself, but I am, I'm very curious to watch it. I will say that. Yeah. Hey, look, uh, that's, that's music to Boston Celtics fans ears because that's Terry Rozier is nothing if not confident, no matter what role, <laughs> no matter how many minutes, no matter how much he's struggled all year, he will go out there and talk his shit. So that mm-hmm. is going to be that's going to be an interesting dynamic. Uh, but generally speaking, and he had a pretty good defensive series against the Indiana Pacers. But the Indiana Pacers aren't a great offensive team, and we're talking about facing an elite offensive team. And so I can't sit there and say that the the Rozier that had a, a good defensive series, decent defensive series. Is is like oh we got him he's fixed like that's it's just not not going to be the same against Milwaukee they are different stylistically they're much much better uh, so I don't know what to expect uh, from Rozier in this series but hey if he can go out there and get under Bledsoe's skin then that's that's enough for me uh, but again back to the Marcus Smart thing. Um, a lot of the focus is on the defense, like I said. The, here's one thing that really has hurt the Celtics, I think, is he is a very underrated point guard in on the offensive end. He is just uh, he's good at seeing the floor. He is a very underrated passer. He's an excellent passer. And he allows Kyrie Irving to move off ball and catch the ball, uh, catch – catch passes off of pin downs, you know, cuts. They can run a floppy. He can he can just cut off the baseline. He can do so many different things with him that um, he can't do without Smart. And when they started uh, Baines, they're starting one ball handler, Kyrie, with Baines and Horford and Tatum and Brown. None of those guys are going to handle the ball much. You can initiate offense a little bit with some of those other guys. You can initiate a little bit more with Al Horford. But when Smart was there, you can have Smart initiating the offense no problem because he's very capable of doing that. So maybe the biggest thing is starting the game with just one ball handler on the floor. It just eliminates one of the dangerous things that Kyrie can be. And by putting the ball in his hands – he he tends to over dribble sometimes because he's so great at yep. dribbling that sometimes he that's he falls onto that crutch of I'm I'm maybe the best ball handler in the league so I'm gonna dribble my way out of this and even the best ball handler handler in the league dribbles himself into trouble sometimes so as much as they miss Smart defensively they miss him they miss him a lot offensively too. 
I think, and I'll just segue right into Malcolm Brogdon and the Bucks not having him because I think that's another question that exists in this series. But I think what what is kind of interesting to me is that as uh, as I've talked to people and I've seen, I guess Boston Twitter and Celtics Twitter and Celtics fans kind of think about this a little bit is you know like. I think there's some thought like, oh, you know, what can the Bucks do if, you know, the, if the Celtics put out Hayward, Tatum, Brown in a small ball lineup? Like, you know, how are the Bucks going to cover that without without Brogdon? And in my head, it's like, well, you know, they might actually be better on defense with Sterling Brown. Like, Sterling Brown's more physical, bigger body. Uh, I think just overall a better defender. And then it's like, okay, well, if it's not Sterling Brown, Pat Connaughton, okay, you know, Pat Connaughton, I think, gets around screens a little bit better than Malcolm Brogdon does. Uh, probably a little bit better defender than him as well. And then it's like, okay, well, maybe it'll be George Hill. And uh, I would say the same thing. The long frame, the ability to actually guard point guards. Like, uh, I think there's a bunch of stuff there that would suggest, okay, that, that could all work defensively. But offense, I'm really curious to see how the Celtics guard Sterling Brown. Because Sterling Brown has been the Bucks' best corner three-point shooter on the season. There was a time where he was up over 55% from the corners this season. And, I mean, that's that's huge for spacing the floor around Giannis. But there's also, you know, I think when we talk about gravity, like volume means something and reputation means something. And I think no matter what Sterling Brown does, people are going to guard Malcolm Brogdon closer just because there's some, in some ways, brand name. There, there's, in some ways, just kind of how people feel about him. That's all going to happen. And with Sterling Brown, I don't know that he, they feel quite that same fear uh, because maybe, you know, maybe he doesn't shoot enough or maybe he hasn't proven enough, whatever it may be. And I think that's going to be really interesting to watch because obviously anytime you can help off of someone and have another help defender on Giannis, you're winning, right? Like that's 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 huge. So I'm I'm really curious to see how the Celtics go about covering the other for the Bucks. Whether that's Sterling Brown, whether it ends up being Pat Connaughton, some George Hill, whoever that that fifth starter with Malcolm Brogdon out, I think is probably more interesting on the offensive end uh, than it would be on the defensive end. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what the Celtics do with with all of that for sure because, um, I mean, like, Giannis is such the focal point. We barely talked about Giannis in this. Giannis yeah. is, like, the best player in the league right now, and we barely talked about him. I think maybe because – But I think it's – you know how good he's going to be. Right. right? It's, it's, uh, it's just a given. Like, he's yeah. awesome, and can the, can the Celtics limit him enough? But if he's – just so damn good that nothing that the Celtics do works, then what ends up happening is it's impossible to guard all those other guys because it's it, you, you got to react to Giannis, and then he makes Sterling Brown possible by finding him in the corner. And he makes Malcolm Brogdon if possible or Chris Middleton. Like, all those guys just feed off of the the greatness of Giannis. And look, this is this is the genius of the Bucks. The construction of the Bucks this season has been 
perfect for maximizing Giannis' skill set. That's why he's an MVP candidate, not only just because he's improved his own game, but because the team has maximized his abilities. it does raise questions, which we won't tackle here, about how the Bucks will continue to be constructed after the season, which is a <laughs> big, big storyline, an underrated storyline for the summer. But um, for now, this is the team, and these are the guys. And how the Celtics guard Brown or Brogdon or all of that depends on how they are able to control Giannis, how much... Can they control what he does? What are they going to allow, and what are they going to take away? And how much are, can they limit? Uh, they can't. They can't just let him run roughshod. Uh, but if they do, if they then he can't do like other things. He's either just dunking all the time and not passing, but he can't be like forty points, fifteen assists, or something like that. Like he's got to be no. like fifty points. Two assists like that. Yeah, that's yeah. the that's the Giannis. If they if they're they got to pick something, in it, it, and I'd rather see him be the scorer than the passer. Like if it was fifteen points and twenty assists, then I don't know what his career high is, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, if he's if yeah. he's creating so much, you know, gravity and 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 kicking out, and it's just fine. I'll just kick it out all the time. Then that that's going to be a problem because. If he's getting that many assists, that means a bunch of other guys are are just killing the Celtics. So I, I and that's the way teams have leaned. They they've leaned to if if we're going to let Giannis do something, it's going to be more of a scorer than it is a playmaker. I think that's when Giannis is at his his most scary is when he's mixing the scoring and still getting his his foolish playmaking though. Like that's that's really that's when he's at his most terrifying. If he can kind of control one of those, I think you feel a little bit better. I will say that I think for the Celtics, like the scariest prospect for the Celtics is that they just get tormented by Giannis here. They went, the Bucks win the series, and they find a way to keep this going. I think the Celtics have they they in absolutely no way approach it this way. But I'm sure Danny Ainge might be sitting up in the in the corner office and saying, you know, if we could just find a way to beat the Bucks in this series, maybe, just maybe, the the salary cap issues that the Bucks have will cause enough turnover that the maximizing of Giannis gets diminished and mm-hmm. and he's not the like LeBron just left. We got rid of LeBron. <laughs> we don't need another one of those guys in our way. Yeah. And <laughs> there's going to be like uh, I'm sure like this kind of kind of like praying almost like come on just do it just this one time find a way to win this in seven find a way to win this in seven and then maybe the Bucks re- feel like this this roster is going to get too expensive to re-sign everybody and something goes wrong and and that causes enough problems where Giannis doesn't have enough help next year and and the Celtics don't have that that obstacle in their way. Yeah, no, I, I think that is uh, that is something that lingers over this entire this entire postseason for the Bucks is you know exactly how are you going to try to decide who you want to sign up long term and I think it's really easy if 
you go to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think it's really easy if you obviously go to the NBA Finals or win the NBA Finals. You, you know, you just sign everyone back up. But if you if you lose in the second round, eh, you know, you got to think about all this stuff. Like, you know, I think in theory you think this is great and, you know, the team is a 60-win team, but... Man, uh, signing everyone up and getting awfully close to the luxury tax or, or maybe even possibly in the luxury tax uh, by bringing everyone back in a season where you only went to the second round, it becomes awfully tough. And, you know, if that becomes awfully tough and things snowball a little bit, then all of a sudden Giannis doesn't want to sign his uh, Supermax extension next summer. And, yeah, I agree. I, I think all of that, that is very possible. So uh, the Bucks know, and I think that's why you saw the Bucks kind of push everything in to the middle of the table with, you know, making the Miritich trade, making the George Hill trade. I, I think they knew that, you know, got to find a way to go as far as you can this year and make it obvious to Giannis you're about winning and you have some results there and he should want to sign up long term. Okay, that's a little too big picture. But I think so. It's something. It's something that's there. And again, look from a Celtics perspective. I'm sure Celtics fans, looking at Giannis, looking at this this monster of a player and how much how great he is. Um, anything that minimizes him moving forward is, is great. <laughs> so it's good to put this bug in people's ears. Let's get back. while I mean while we're here. Kyrie, New York, right? Like that's that's also a thing. If the Celtics lose, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, um, it's, it is a, it's yes. Both teams do have that that possibility. Uh, if the Celtics yeah. if the Celtics lose, I, I think it's it might be like a, a how how do they lose uh, and what moves do they make? So sure. for Kyrie, if they lose because it was Tatum and Brown or Terry Rozier, or, or somebody else trying to be a hero and taking away his opportunity to be the hero, um, I, I think that wouldn't sit well with him. If, <laughs> if he plays, if both teams play their asses off, and Giannis just has a, you know, one of those game sevens for the ages that these MVPs sure. always have on their resume, 42, 15, and 11 triple-double, and he was just, he's the MVP, and he shows it in that moment. Like, if that happens, then there's there's less of a feeling like that um, a frustration, I guess. Like, if you just lose to the better team, you lose to the number one seed because the MVP beat you, um, then the next step would be, all right, well, how do what are we doing to beat that guy next time? So then that puts the onus on Danny Ainge to go ahead and make that Anthony Davis trade. And so then if the Celtics make that Anthony Davis trade and Kyrie can be like, all right, we've got, we've got Horford, we've got, I don't know how the whole thing would break down, but, you know, we've got me, we've got AD, we've got, like, a big three here. Sure. I'm ready to roll with these guys as opposed to, you know, I'm going to go start over. Like, if, if the Celtics can make the moves to convince him, like, okay, we we ran into the roadblock and we're making this move to get us to the next step, uh, especially if he looks yeah. at what what happens to the Bucks and say, okay, Bucks lost these guys, we got this guy, 
Uh, I like where we are. What happens to Kawhi in Toronto? Does, does, does Kawhi go to the Clippers? If, if the East breaks where he can feel good about staying with the Celtics, then great. Although I can easily sit here as I'm talking and say, well, if the East breaks and it's wide open, then he can say, well, I, I don't need to stay with Boston to be a contender. I can go to New York with KD and be a contender. So <laughs> I've now talked myself into, you know, a lack of sleep. Uh, yes, but yes. no, it, it's there is a there is a thing there is a feeling here um, that Kyrie could go to New York. There's there's certainly a draw there for him to go back home. He's a northern. So Turkish just kid. a little bit on the line for both teams. This, a little bit, a just little. a little bit. Okay, okay. So we'll just leave it at that. Um, okay, are you comfortable making a prediction in this series? I am. Um, I've. Uh, I've power ranked my predictions. Uh, so my top three predictions are Bucks and seven, Bucks and five, Celtics and six. That is how I go one, two, three. Those are, I think are the three most likely outcomes there. I think Celtics and six becomes a little bit more. I think Celtics and six is possible if they split the first two uh, at five star form. If I mean, also, if they split the first two in Pfizer form, that's the Game 7 possibility. But I do think if if the Bucks manage to win the first two at Pfizer form, I could see it going a little sideways for the Celtics, just with how they are, <laughs> I suppose, uh, just just with their personalities. Uh, and then winning one in, in TD Garden and then uh, taking care of business in five. So uh, that is how I rank them. But Bucks in seven is is where I feel most comfortable. Okay, that's fair. Um, I'm I'm kind of, like, Bucks and seven makes perfect sense, right? Like, just removing everything from the situation. I can sit there and say, yeah, Bucks and seven, this is going to be a great series. Uh, Man, I hope it is. I mean, I, I, I do hope it, it, it's a great series. Like, I don't want, I don't want like, to, it to be a dud. Um, I definitely... I'm I'm leaning towards Celtics in six, and might be a little bit of a little bit of a homer reaction there, but um, I I'm I'm putting a lot of stock in the Horford Lopez impact, uh, not just individually like kind of like I was saying before, I like the ripple effect that it creates. Mm-hmm. And I think it can create enough where the Celtics take advantage, and you use the term Budenholzer's uh, stubbornness. I think there's something to Budenholzer's stubbornness and allowing something like that to be a problem for a little too long. And I think the Celtics can steal one of these first two games in Milwaukee and then close things out in six when things get tight and the Celtics are at home and they're just a different team at home. I think I just I think that the matchup can be enough to steal a game and then be chalked the rest of the way. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Um, but I, like I said, I there's the voice in the back of my head that's like you know the Bucks are just way better than these teams, but then there's me watching the 
last 20 years of Bucks basketball and saying the Bucks are not better than anyone. <laughs> um, the, the, whatever could go wrong uh, will go wrong. But I do think, like I said, going into the playoffs, this was the team that I said Bucks fans should fear the most, and it's pretty much because of what we talked about. You know, they're they're bad against pick and pop bigs, and Al Horford's the best at it in the entire league, and. Kyrie Irving is Kyrie Irving, and in the postseason, he's just so damn good. Um, and, you know, you, you put that together, and, uh, I mean, that's really what creates a really, to me, a really strong, uh, you know, case for, for the Celtics being able to beat the Bucks. We'll see, man. We'll see. Um, we'll just leave it there, because I'm sure we'll, we'll be talking to each other throughout the course of this series or I think so. Yeah, know, I think so. I think this is I, I I do hope this is a good one. This it should be a good one. Um I think both teams are at a place now that this this will be this should be a good one. Um all right, let's just leave it at that and we'll say we'll talk next time. And again, that was my conversation with John Krause of Locked on Celtics. Hopefully we got to everything you were curious about and everything you're wondering about in the Bucks second round series. Again, tip off of Bucks Celtics game one is at noon on Sunday. Thanks for listening, and remember you can subscribe to this show on the new Himalaya Podcast app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google's Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play a podcast locked on Bucks. No Frank, he'll be back on Sunday. I might even be back on Sunday. With a noon tip, I might be able to get something done, but also maybe it'll just end up being Frank for Monday's podcast. So, for John Krause of Locked On Celtics, for Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Locked On Bucks. We will talk to you guys in a couple days. <laughs>